Hello, everyone, and welcome to the June 15th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Lloyd's, Karen and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal affirmed a carrier's right to rescind workers' compensation policies based upon allegations of fraud. Here's what happened in the case of American Home Assurance Company versus 99-cent-only stores. American Home Assurance Company, National Union Fire Insurance Company of Pittsburgh, and Illinois National Insurance Company issued workers' compensation policies to Optima Staffing. At the time, Optima's allegedly represented it was a temporary staffing agency that directly hired, trained, and supervised employees deployed as temporary workers in various industries and not a professional employer organization. After defending and indemnifying 175 workers' compensation claims, the insurers discovered that Optima was operating as a professional employer organization for several temporary staffing agencies and their special employer clients. The insurers rescinded the policies and filed a civil action for declaratory relief to confirm the rescission and for restitution from the temporary staffing agencies and the special employers. The trial court sustained the demurs of several of the temporary staffing agencies and special employers without leave to amend and subsequently granted motions for judgment on the pleadings in favor of the remaining temporary staffing agencies and special employers. But the Court of Appeal reversed the judgment and the orders dismissing the causes of action for declaratory relief and unjust enrichment in the unpublished case. It held that an insurer may rescind an insurance contract when the insured has misrepresented or concealed material information, even unintentionally. Rescission effectively renders the policy totally unenforceable from the outset so that there was never any coverage and no benefits are payable. Rescission applies to all insureds under the contract, including additional insureds, unless the contract provides otherwise. The defendants contended that the insurer's rescission claim fails because by declaring they do not intend to seek reimbursement from the injured workers or to terminate previously agreed upon benefits, the insurers are not truly seeking rescission. In response, the Court of Appeals said it would be a perversion of equitable principles to prevent an aggrieved party from seeking relief because it did not want to pursue damages or seek restitution from individuals who are at least likely to have the resources to mount a defense. And now our fraud report. The HHS Office of Inspector General is stepping up prosecutions of physicians for kickbacks. It warns in a newly published anti-fraud alert that doctors must be careful to avoid entering into payment agreements that could violate the anti-kickback statute. This warning follows a dozen recent settlements involving physician contracts. The alert could signify that the feds are increasingly pursuing allegations against individual doctors as opposed to just the hospitals and other organizations that pay them. 
or it could be a way to remind physicians that they too are accountable for arrangements that skirt the law. It also serves as a guide for workers' compensation administrators on detection of masked or hidden illegal kickback schemes. The alert warns doctors entering into payment arrangements such as medical directorships that their compensation must reflect fair market value for services provided. It's common for doctors to be employed by hospitals and other organizations as medical directors, but those arrangements might violate the anti-kickback law when their purpose is to get more referrals from those doctors. A compensation arrangement may violate the anti-kickback statute even if one purpose of the arrangement is to compensate a physician for his or her past or future referrals of federal health care program business. The new alert is the third in three years involving physicians. In 2013, the OIG issued a fraud alert about physician-owned device distributorships and in 2014, it issued a fraud alert about lab payments to physicians. The OIG has reached settlements recently with 12 individual physicians who entered into questionable medical directorships and office staff arrangements. In those cases, the government alleged that payments to physicians took into account the volume or value of their referrals or did not reflect fair market value or that the doctors did not actually provide the services outlined in their agreements. In some cases, the OIG alleged that doctors entered into agreements in which an affiliated healthcare entity paid the salaries of their office staff. Those who commit fraud involving federal healthcare programs are subject to possible criminal, civil, and administrative sanctions. <clears throat> a Los Angeles area woman and man who were responsible for more than $1.8 million in fraudulent Medicare billings have been found guilty of health care fraud. 53-year-old Queen Anise Smith of Woodland Hills and 49-year-old Abdul King Gabara of Van Nuys each were convicted of five counts of health care fraud. The two operated ITC Medical Supply in Van Nuys. The guilty verdicts concluded a nine-day trial in federal court. The duo billed Medicare for durable medical equipment, mostly power wheelchairs, for beneficiaries who were often recruited off the street, who were mobile and did not need a power wheelchair, and who could not use the power wheelchair in their homes. As part of their scheme, they falsified paperwork and sometimes failed to deliver the power wheelchairs altogether. As a result of the guilty verdicts, each face a statutory maximum sentence of 50 years when they are sentenced this fall. And in regulatory news, the Workers' Compensation Appeals Board plans to reorganize and renumber its rules of practice and procedure, which are found in the California Code of Regulations, Title VIII, commencing with Section 10300. The organizational structure initially adopted in 1966 no longer accommodates the number and complexity of rules adopted in the modern era. As a result of several comprehensive reforms of the workers' compensation system since 1966, 
The rules are now 50 pages longer than they were then and cover multiple new procedures. For example, the rules now include procedures for issuing sanctions, consolidation of cases, and appealing determinations of the administrative director. Because the existing organization does not have a logical or natural place for many of these new rules, it is often difficult to locate a particular rule. An additional consequence is unnecessary duplication of rules in different articles and multiple rules covering the same or similar subjects. With this reorganization, <clears throat> the WCAB plans to organize articles to reflect the order of events in a case and eliminate duplicate rules. It will also break up compli complex rules and simplify and modernize language of rules for clarity. It also intends to create some room between rules so that additional rules can be added in the future without need for decimals. In general, the WCAB does not plan to change the substance of the vast majority of rules with this reorganization. However, it will propose substantive changes where a rule does not reflect current practice or when it believes substantive changes are necessary. <clears throat> Prior to engaging in formal rulemaking and starting with this notice, the WCAB will periodically post in a forum on its website a group of articles and rules for review and comment. You may go to the forum page to offer your comments. In the next few months, it will post the remainder of the proposed reorganized rules in two additional forums. After that, it will issue an initial statement of reasons and a notice of public hearing, together with the complete package of reorganized and revised rules. The DWC has posted an order adjusting the official medical fee schedule to conform to changes in the Medicare payment system as required by Labor Code Section 5307.1. The Physician and Non-Physician Practitioner's Fee Schedule Update Order adopts the National Correct Coding Initiative, Medically Unlikely Edits, and the Physician Practitioner Services CCI Edits, July 1, 2015 Quarterly Update. It also adopts the CMS Medicare National Physician Fee Schedule Relative Value File, RVU-15C, July 1, 2015, quarterly update. The order adopting the OMFS adjustments is effective for services rendered on or after July 1, 2015 and can be found on the DWC website. The DWC has made revisions to the Qualified Medical Evaluator Regulations following a May public hearing and a review of the submitted comments. Members of the public are invited to present written comments regarding the new proposed modifications. Under the proposed revisions, initial represented panel requests postmarked after September 3 will not be accepted or processed by the medical unit. The last day to mail in panel requests will be September 3, 2015. Effective October 1, 2015, all initial panel requests must be submitted electronically. Parties will have 10 days from service of the panel list to strike a doctor. 
disputes regarding the validity of panel requests must be resolved by a workers' compensation judge. Disputes regarding the appropriateness of the specialty designated must also be resolved by the medical director. Either party may appeal the decision with a workers' comp judge. MAA anesthesiology will be added as a specialty listing. QME Form 105 will be amended to make a spelling correction and to indicate that the requesting party must select only one specialty. The notice and text of the regulations can be found on the DWC proposed regulations page. Insurance Commissioner Jones is appointing George Mueller as Deputy Commissioner of the Enforcement Branch of the California Department of Insurance. Mueller will lead the department's law enforcement and criminal investigative functions. The enforcement branch is the largest component of the Department of Insurance and consists of 400 professionals, including over 200 sworn peace officers who investigate various insurance crimes. These include workers' compensation, auto, homeowner, health, life, annuity, and disability insurance fraud and crimes committed by insurance agents and brokers. Mueller comes to the department from the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office, where he most recently served as Assistant Chief of the Bureau of Investigation. He has served in law enforcement since 1985, where he began his career working for the City of Alhambra Police Department as a police officer and then a detective. Mueller also served as a captain, lieutenant, supervising investigator, and various other roles in the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office. He graduated with honors from the University of Southern California with a bachelor's degree in public administration and earned his master's in public administration with a specialization in judicial administration. He is also a graduate of the FBI National Academy and the Senior Management Institute for Police. Mueller will begin his new assignment on July 20 and is filling the deputy commissioner position left vacant after Eric Werrick retired in December 2014. EDD officials showed off the new website at their downtown Sacramento headquarters last week. The site, called UI Online, is being launched a year and a half late and has cost more than expected, but aims to greatly reduce the need to call the agency with questions about claims. The new site, which cost $16 million, lets customers do most of the work of applying for benefits and makes it easier for the agency to contact people online. Of the 15,000 people given access to it so far, only two people have needed help using it. EDD plans to roll out the new site to 100,000 customers at a time until all 400,000 people currently receiving benefits have access. That's a fraction of the roughly 1.5 million people who were collecting benefits during the height of the recession. That reduction has helped reduce a backlog of claims the agency processes and helps reduce the backlog of calls. At one time, people may have called as many as 45 times before someone at the EDD answered their call. 
Now that number is down to three calls. And in medical news, by 2019, some insurance experts predict that medical care will make up two-thirds of workers' compensation claim costs. Comorbid conditions such as obesity and diabetes, along with growing prescriptions for opioids, can further complicate work comp claims. However, the way a claim is medically managed can impact whether the injured employee quickly recovers and returns to work or requires treatment for months, even years. And Liberty Mutual Insurance says it can achieve better outcomes by gaining a thorough understanding of the value of nurses and knowing which claims will benefit most from a nurse's involvement and learning which skills a nurse really needs to make that involvement count. Intuitively, insurance carriers and third-party administrators understand the connection between a nurse's involvement in a claim and a favorable claim outcome. But Liberty wanted to quantify that impact and calculate what it calls the N-factor. It looked at medical billing and claims data for 42,000 claims across four categories. The study showed that medical and total lost dollars were reduced by double-digit percentages and injured employees returned to work sooner when nursing was involved. But that does not necessarily mean that involving a nurse in the treatment of every type of claim would produce the same result. Thus, Liberty created a decision support model to identify claims where a nurse would be beneficial. This model leverages 25 to 30 data variables within its claims system. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And please remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, your iPod, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks again for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.